Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we are, we've, we've been, it's, uh, purposely, as the Lord has led, it's been a little, uh, we, we've kind of taken the foot off the pedal with some stuff, uh, on Sundays, but we have some really awesome things coming up here over the next month. Uh, in two weeks on October the 13th, October the 13th, Brother Grossbach will be back with us on Sunday morning, October the 13th, ministering. He hasn't been here in a few months, and uh, Brother Grossbach is so influential in what God is doing here at Antioch West, so we're excited that he will be back with us again on October the 13th, and then October the 20th is going to be our next baby dedication. So if you know of someone that has a child that would like to be dedicated, you can let them know that we will be doing a baby dedication on October the 20th. So Brother Grossbach on October the 13th, and um, baby dedication on October the 20th. And as always, we will send these dates out to you, and we'll actually we'll, we'll post these on Realm as well, so you know all of the stuff going on. There's some more stuff happening, but I'll just leave it at those two for now. Praise God. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, I, I'm, I want to use this as sort of a foundation before I get there and I start. I, I honestly did not intend when I started this two weeks ago to stay in this vein. I felt like two weeks ago the Lord had given me several things and then I didn't get to finish and I finished, I tried to finish last week and then this week uh, my wife and I have been going through some things personally and with that the Lord's been talking and dealing with, with me and so it expanded on what I sort of been dealing with and so without realizing it, without the intention of doing it, it seems like we've turned into a little bit of a, of a series that God has put together here uh, as we've kind of evolved and what we've been dealing with and discussing is dealing with the enemy of our life. And dealing with enemies and what does an enemy mean and why God uses and allows an enemy. And we've been dealing with that. And several, two weeks ago we talked about that the devil's not trying to attack what you're doing. He's really attacking what you're becoming. And ultimately what you do doesn't matter to him as much as what you're becoming. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter to the devil if you show up to church every Sunday. As long as you don't become a disciple. He won't fight you coming to church and going through the, through the process of just giving your ritual and your, your, your every week religious obligation. But the moment you decide that you're not just going to do it, but you're going to live it, that's when he starts to show up. And then last week, without even realizing it, we talked about God's making us into coconut cakes. I want to know how many people last week went out and got coconut cake at one point uh, last week. Um, and uh, we're talking about that. And then as we've kind of evolved, something sort of hit me this week. And I was on the phone uh, with the bishop and we were discussing something. And, and he said something to me and it kind of just triggered in my mind for a moment. And uh, as I began to meditate on it, the Lord began to talk to me. Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's one of the most... Famous stories in 
The Bible, and I use that word famous because it's a, it's a, it's a story that transcends the scriptures. Um, that even non-churchgoers would recognize the basis of the story. We understand Genesis 1 and 2 deal with creation, uh, deals with man and um, God creating man, and then obviously creation of woman, and then we find that they were living in the garden. And Genesis 3 is the very famous story. We pick it up, uh, verse number 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning. That word cunning there is meaning subtle, shrewd, crafty, sly, sensible. So the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good for evil. Now, I'm not going to go down the roads what we normally deal with. I'm not going to talk about the, the the serpent and the woman and the the tree and the, all. That's not the point of what I'm saying uh, or where I'm going today. What I really want you to focus on is the word subtle, cunning, crafty, sly. We have a very uh, Hollywood theology when it comes to to the adversary. What I mean by that is, is that Hollywood has made the devil to be the little dude with the pitchfork and the horns and the tail. But you know what? The devil doesn't look like that. And the devil doesn't operate like that. Very rarely does the devil or the adversary show up in your life and say, hey, I'm here. Let's go back to this story for a moment. We focus sometimes on the nitty gritty of the conversation. But let's step back and realize something. She was talking to a snake. And whatever was the the relationship with man and animals in the garden, man, you can can get into some crazy weird stuff if you get down that road. And so, whatever the relationship with man in the garden. But you know what? I wonder if the conversation would have been different if the snake would have said, by the way, I'm the devil. I wonder if there would have been any conversation back and forth if the snake would have revealed his true identity. But the fact that it used cunning, sly, craftiness, she didn't even realize who she was talking to until the seed was already sowed and it was too late. If you think that the devil's going to show up in your life with a pitchfork, fangs, horns on his head, and say, I've come to wreck your life, he's not going to do that. In fact, a lot of times, you don't realize your life is wrecked until it's too late. Then you go back and you realize, wait a minute, I should have recognized this was taking place, and then I didn't recognize it, and therefore it's too late. It's already done. So because of that, we let certain things rest in our life. And when we give, we, 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 we entertain certain things that we don't even realize what we're entertaining until it's too late. There's a terminology now that is very, uh, very common in our vernacular that 20 years ago we probably wouldn't have even known what one was 
or have ever heard of the use of one, and that's the term IED. In the war over in Afghanistan and Iraq, and some of you have served in that capacity, and you know more than I do what that really means, but there's a term that really become very familiar to us if you pay attention to news and all, and that's this term, an IED. An IED is an improvised explosive device. And, 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 and basically, a lot of times, it's been used uh, on roadsides and it's buried and there's some kind of tripwire, whatever it is, that that uh, as our, our troops or other troops are traveling through an area, it, it trips this device. And, and, and many of our soldiers, many of our men and women in uniform have suffered either loss of life or suffered uh, a, a loss of a limb or, or other tragic things because of these devices. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the cartoon where Bugs Bunny uh, always, or the, 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 uh, the, the Bugs Bunny cartoons with the Roadrunner. And the Roadrunner always wily e. Coyote. And it was always this back and forth battle with the Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote. And, and, and if you're going to use an IED, you don't bury it in the ground and then put a big sign that says bomb. The idea and the effectiveness of the weapon is because you don't know it's there until it's too late. If you saw a plane flying overhead that may drop bombs, not saying you could protect yourself, but it might give you some warning, something bad's about to go down. But a lot of times if you read the accounts, and some of you have probably experienced it firsthand and know exactly what it's like and live with the horror of that, but a lot of times with these IEDs, you don't know they're there until they've exploded. And now you're dealing with the wreck. And I begin to think about this concept. I don't know it, what, what made me put these things together. But I begin to think about these concepts and realize that the devil lays these sort of traps. And there are certain things that the enemy uses in our lives. That if we don't recognize the pitfalls that they possess... By the time we get into them, it's too late. And as we begin to kind of meditate, and the Lord was dealing with these, because a lot of these I've dealt with in my own life, and, and deal with my own life, and I know a lot of you deal with your own life, and begin to look at some of these things that the devil uses. And when I say enemy, and I say deals, again, I, I got, I've got to preface this. I said this two weeks ago. I'm not talking about your personality quirks or your bad habits. I'm not talking about those things being the enemy. I find a lot of times people try to get more spiritual when really they need to get more disciplined. You don't really like that, but it's the truth anyways. We want to pray our way out of some stuff when we need to just get more disciplined in our life. I'm not negating prayer. I'm not negating spirituality. But there's some things, you know what? Honestly, I've heard people rebuke their you know, rebuke the devourer off their bank account. My God, my ATM, nothing in I rebuke the money. It ain't the devil. Too many trips to Pizza Hut and the mall that's sabotaging your bank account. It's not the devil. So there's some things you can rebuke all you want, but until you change, they won't change. 
You can rebuke your... I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to make any friends today, but you can rebuke the devil out of your marriage all you want, but if you're a jerk, you're going to have a bad marriage. (laughs) Hallelujah. You, You can... You, you... You know, you can rebuke the devil off your boss, but if you're a bad employee, it ain't the devil. You're just lazy. I know that doesn't really make you want to jump up and down and run and say amen, but there's a lot of things we want to blame on the devil. It has nothing to do with the devil. It's the devil inside of me called flesh. And so... uh, I'm not talking about those things, but, but I began to look through some of these, and I don't know if I'm going to get to all of them today, because a couple of them, I'm, a, I'm afraid that the Lord's probably going to, we're going to focus one. So let's look at some of these weapons that the devil uses in our life. The first weapon is isolation. Isolation is a very, very damaging weapon. And there's this sort of life that we live and that we deal with, that there is a balance that we must have between being responsible and being relational. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to the scripture. Revelation. Jesus is speaking to a group of Christians and believers, and he's, he's in, he, he is uh, 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 encouraging them, and he's acknowledging and celebrating all the things that they were doing well. But then he chastises them. This is Revelation chapter 2. He chastises them because they had started to depart from their first love. And so even though they were doing things and he celebrated what they were doing, on the other side he began to chastise them because even though they were doing things, they were doing it out of the context of relationship. That's why the Bible says, When Jesus spoke in John chapter 14, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. The problem is for so long, we have focused on the keep the commandment parts when he wanted us to focus on the love part. Because if you love, then. We want to keep commandments out of the context of love. But if you keep commandments out of the context of love, you're in a religion, you're not in a relationship. Because if I keep my relationship with God up to date, my obedience to Him will flow out of my love for Him. It will not flow out of obligation. It will not flow out of the fact, okay, preacher, tell me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. It flows out of love, like any good relationship. Any good relationship, really, that works, should flow out of love. And He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why is that the case? Jesus was putting priority on being relational over being responsible. Come on, folks. We've been talking about this for two years almost. I'm not in any way, and have I ever endorsed, and please, if I've got to say this publicly, I've never endorsed, let's just, oh, didn't matter what you do. You go do what you want to do. Because if you do that, that shows you you're not connected to Him. 
I'm saying that if we would focus on getting connected to Him, He will lead and guide us. But we've got the cart in front of the horse because all we want to focus on is God. What am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? But He said, just focus on loving me. If you love me, then my commandments you will keep. And He says this. Because really, honestly, it doesn't matter how much you do and how much you accomplish. If you do it, outside of the context of relationship with Him, it means nothing to God. I've watched people for years come to church and, and after a while, we kind of slip into that autopilot mode. We talked about that before. Those of you that you repeat the same drive to work every day, how many times do you get to work and you realize when you pull in the parking lot, how did I get here? Because you don't ever remember. You don't know if you ran red lights. You don't know if you cut somebody off because you were on autopilot. How many times do we go home after being in a gathering and going, did I even go to... What happened today? What, did we sing a song? Did, did someone preach? What, 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 what happened today? Because if we're not careful, we can even get on autopilot when we come in here because we do this every week. What happens when you lose the context of relationship? You've lost everything. When you lose the context of relationship with Jesus Christ, you have lost everything. Here's the problem with that. When you lose relationship it's easy to slip in to isolation. And decisions made in isolation can be some of the most damaging decisions of your life. One of the beauties about what God is doing here at Antioch West is He's given us a venue not to just work on the vertical, but He's given us a venue to connect on the horizontal. The beauty about what God does in small groups is it gives us an opportunity to not be isolated. You've got to work hard to be isolated in this church. Some churches you can slip in and you can slip out. Here, you've got to work hard. Why? Because we want that connection. We want that. Look at Scripture. Elijah is, has this ultimate, my God is bigger than your God showdown. If you don't know the story, I'll break it down to you in the Cliff Note version. There was this dude, his name was Elijah. The Bible doesn't call him a dude, but I'm going to call him a dude. And he had this sort of competition with these prophets. And it was basically, hey, my God is bigger than your God type competition. And, 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 and it went down like this, is that they, they built an altar and they were going to see which God was going to respond to the altar they built. And so that he said, you know what? We'll flip a coin, heads or tails. You know, he called tails, so he deferred to the second half. He said, you guys, I'll kick the ball to you. You go first. Some of you football people, other than you, like, no idea what that means. And so they went first. And so they erected this deal, and they started going out there, and they were, they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then I, and, and, and one of the most, the, the first recorded trash-talking incidents in history, Elijah starts to trash-talk them and say, Hey, is your God on vacation? Is He not listening? What's going on? And nothing happened. Finally, it was His turn. And so He was so confident, so bold, He built an altar, and then in the middle of a drought, He had them bring water, pour it on there. 
So not only did he have confidence in God, he made it extra hard. And he spoke a short prayer, a little more than 60 words long, and fire fell down from heaven. God consumed the altar. Tremendous story. What a high. What a tremendous feeling that must have been to be able to see God operate like that. This same guy, not too long later, gets into this confrontation with this woman named Jezebel. She says to him, you know what? I'm going to kill you. And what does he do? He runs off into isolation. And here's this guy who stood before a nation so confident that he actually made it harder. That's like saying to okay, let's just put it in perspective, all right? If you were, uh, if, if you were here today and you, you had a broken leg and we're saying, you know what? We're going to show God how great God is and, and we're going to show God heal this leg and we brought you up here just for good measure. We'd break the other leg, break your arms and crack your skull. Just because we know God could do it. That's pretty much the equivalent of what I, what Elijah did. He was so confident God could do it, but not very long after that, this same guy that was so bold and so confident is basically whining to God under a tree, going, God, just kill me. Why? Because he had isolated himself. You know what? One of the first signs someone begins to struggle is when they begin to isolate themselves. Pull away. You don't come to church to be saved. You come to church because you are saved. You don't get, I mean, I said this before. There's no star chart in heaven where God's giving you a star and if you do 10 weeks in a row, you get a free answered prayer. 20 weeks in a row, I mean, you get one miracle, whatever. And there's no chart in heaven tracking your attendance. No, you don't come to church. But you know what? When I start pulling myself away and get into isolation, that's when the adversary starts to really show up. And you know what happens? It doesn't just, the devil doesn't just show up in your life and say, hey, I'm here. It starts so subtle. Well, I just, I'm going through a lot. I, don't, I just don't know if I can make it. Well, you know, I just, I, I, you start making, you, you start making excuses. You start, little things here and there start to pop up. And next thing you know, it's been one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, a month, two months. And all of a sudden now, you're surrounded in this world of isolation. And before you realize it, you've pulled yourself into this world and you've built walls around you in this world of isolation. And I've watched good people isolate themselves into destruction. You know what? I'm so thankful today that I have people in my life. God's given me a a loving wife. God's given me people to surround me. Why? Because they'll see things in me I can't see in myself. You're a fool. I didn't mean to point at you. Sorry, I was a little harsh. I mean, I'm so sorry. Here, let's hug it out. We still love each other. I just, I don't know what happened there. I just, I went real strong at you. I felt bad there. Okay, okay. Okay, good. We love, I felt, wait a minute. Man, that was real strong. I need to, I need to make sure I'm universal in my pointing. 
I woo. I mean, I felt I was that was uh, boy. That was that was rough. I just felt, man. I'm sorry. I just they were like, man, that poor lady's really getting it today. You're a fool if you think you can self-diagnose everything. You're a fool if you think somehow you can fix or figure out everything going in you. Sometimes you need somebody in your life to be able to speak in you and say, you know what, something's not right. That's why, you, that's why pastor, small group leader, husband, wife, friend, somebody in your life that can see things in you, you can't see in yourself. You may not like it. You may not agree with it, but if you would listen, you'll find that God will use them to talk to you because ultimately you won't hear it from anybody else. And what's really scary is when we get in this self-diagnosis mode where we think somehow we can figure it out on ourselves and we don't need anybody and somehow we have the ability to figure it all out. You are a fool. And I don't mean that to be derogatory. I'm saying that's a foolish way to live because you know what? There are things in me I cannot see. There's things about me that I can't see. And I'm thankful God puts people in my life to say it. Sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes I argue with it. Sometimes I fight it. But when I finally come to it and let God speak, I realize they're not speaking. It's really God speaking through them. If you don't have that in your life, whoa, 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 you need to find it. Now, let's be honest. I'm not talking about somebody in your life to be your policeman. I'm not talking about somebody in your life to be your, to be your, to be the tattletaler or to be your, to, to be your scorecard. And, and I'm not, that's not what we're talking about. We do it in love. It's done in love. But somebody to say, you know what? There's some things. Look, I'm so sorry. Are you leaving because of me? I'm really sorry. Do we need a, oh, it's just joking. She can't, she's like, I gotta go. I can't. He's gonna, he's gonna call me out again. All right, Angie, I'm going to pick on somebody else. All right. (laughs) But you know what? Eventually God showed up to Elijah and said, look, you're not alone. Can I tell you today, you're not alone? Isn't it it just a weird feeling? I, I say weird. That's not a good way to put it. It's another word, but I can't think of it. It's a crazy feeling to be in a room full of people who feel alone. To be surrounded by friends and family, but feel alone. Can I tell you today, you're not alone. If you're in here today and the adversary is using your loneliness as a weapon against you, can I tell you that you're not alone? Because first of all, you've got a heavenly father that knows where you are and sees you and you're not alone. And the Bible says if you would just simply call on him, he would be there. You're only alone if you choose to be alone. You know what? Let me just say this, and this is not the point of where I was going, but I feel to say that sometimes God isolates you. He does. But He never isolates you from Him. So how do I know the difference this is not in the notes, so this is coming fresh off the press. How do I know the difference between 
my isolation and his isolation. It's very easy to tell the difference. If I'm isolated from you, but not him, God's doing it. But if I'm isolated from him, I'm doing it. Because you know what? There are times and seasons in my life where God will shut the influences around me because He wants me to go to Him. Because there are times it's easier to pick up the phone and call somebody else versus getting on your knees and talking to Jesus. It's easier to try to go get an answer for somebody and use their prayer life instead of getting your own prayer life. It's easier to give somebody else that's fasting and praying to get your answer because you're not willing to fast and pray until God speaks. So what does God do? He'll give you no answer. He will shut every door. He will remove all of that and isolate you, but He will not isolate you from Him because He's doing it. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days. There are times where he pulls you into those moments, those transformational moments where you're isolated so that he can speak to you and eliminate the voices. I've said this before, but John, the beloved, we talk about all the great things that happen in Scripture. We talk about all the accolades of Paul. We talk about all the accolades of Peter, all these guys. And then there's this little fellow named John that was stuck on an island by himself. Boy, it blows away all of the things that we use to measure success in God. He wasn't ministering to the world. He wasn't filling up seats on a church pew. He wasn't preaching on TV. He wasn't doing any of that. He's just this lowly criminal stuck on an island. But God put him on that island. And John gives us some pictures of what it was like to live on that island because he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Because he recognizes this isolation isn't for my punishment, but this isolation has been given to me because God wants to show me something. And then John tells something that is remarkable. He said, I hear the voice of God like a trumpet. That is such a contradictory statement when you read it because the Bible says it's a still small voice. So wait a minute. I, I, at one time I read that and, and, and I'm, I'm kind of going through that and I heard that and, I, and it, I read that and it kind of struck me and I said, hey, wait a minute. Why are you blowing trumpets at him and you're not, you're whispering to me? That doesn't seem fair because I tell you what, there are some times I need a trumpet. <laughs> Megaphone, something. Hey! Yo! Something! And here's John, and he's got this trumpet, and you're giving me a whisper. That's not fair. And then the Lord began to speak to me, and I realized something. Missed it. God didn't speak in a trumpet to John. He spoke to John in the same whisper. He speaks to everybody else. But because he was alone and isolated, and there was no voices, even the smallest voice sounded like a trumpet. In his ears. If you're struggling hearing the voice of God today, it's probably because you got too much stuff in your head that you can't hear him because you got too many other things that are louder than his voice. Do you know what? You don't fast and pray. I don't know why I'm on this. I have no idea. I thought I'd be a lot farther in this, but the Lord's talking, so this might be a seven year series. <laughs> Do you know why we fast and pray? You don't fast and pray to twist God's arm. 
Oh, I'm going to fast and pray because if I fast and pray, I'm going to earn my answer from God. When you fast and pray, you do it for one reason, to silence this so you can hear this. That's why sometimes the Bible says, just be still. That is so hard. I have to admit, I, I'm, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. Being still, Brother Rhodes is laughing because he knows. Brother Rhodes was my teacher in high school. I'm a little hyper, if you haven't realized that. And we had these desks that had a very hollow sound to it. And me being who I am, I just was always doing something. And so Brother Rose, because he loved me so much and wanted to make sure I was doing so well, he always set me right near him. So throughout the day, he would say, Joel, stop framing. And I would, after a while, I didn't realize I was doing it. Joel, stop framing. Because to me, it's, it's very hard even now. I'm doing better. I'm getting older. I got more gray hair. But it's hard to sit still sometimes. And nowadays, technology does not help us. Because it's very easy always have a phone, television, radio, something going on 24-7 where there's something. You get in the car, you turn something on. You go home, you turn something on. And you're constantly having all this stuff in you. It's no wonder we have problems hearing the voice of God. So what does God do? He's got to isolate you to talk to you. But there's a difference between His isolation and my isolation. His isolation separates me from the noise. My isolation separates me from Him. So if you're here today and you feel isolated from the noise, and you're wondering why God is picking on you, He's not picking on you. He's trying to speak to you. But if you're here today and you feel isolated from God, you need bells, alarms, whistles, sirens, because that's not God. You may need to take a break from this or take a break from that, but you should never take a break from Jesus. So isolation is a weapon that the devil uses. The second weapon that the devil uses here is the child in you. What do I mean by that? I read this statement that psychologists say that every child has emotional needs. And when these needs aren't met, there is great potential for issues to surface in in adulthood, particularly in relationship. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. That's for someone else to do. But I just know from being in the people business now for quite a while, is that most people that struggle, the struggle really begins with stuff that happened long ago. That the root of this stuff is stuff that happened long ago. I've seen people that struggle today feeling loved by God because they didn't feel loved by a parent. I feel, I see people today that struggle with feeling like God was going to leave them because they had a parent leave them. 
And so that child in you, that, that, that child inside of all of us that, that was wounded, that was hurt, that was broken, that was misused, that was mistreated, that was told you're no good, you're never going to get anything right, now you're an adult and you're trying to move past that, but still inside of you there's this child. And that's why it seems like every time you seem to make headway, something pops up and brings you right back to ground zero. Why feel the Holy Ghost? And you can try to avoid it, and you can try to bury it, and you can try to ignore it, and you can try to cope with it, and you can try to come it up, but God doesn't want you to ignore it. God doesn't want you to cope with it. God wants to heal you and restore you from it. Boy, I feel that so strongly in this place. Do you know... When, when Jesus Christ comes in your life, we often talk about the fact that wherever you come to, wherever you come to God, you start your life. But really, that's not the way it works. Really, technically, there's not necessarily a before Christ and after Christ in your life. Because when, the, when, when God comes in your life, you are born again. Now, I know that terminology, we use that terminology, born again, as if we're starting a new life. But to God, He's not starting a new life. You're starting life. Because God doesn't just... Example, when you come to God and you give your life to Him, does He just repent? Does he just forgive you of the sins that you commit going forward from that point? Or does He go all the way back into the history of your life and forgive you for everything you've done? He forgives you for everything you've done. Every single thing you've done, no matter how far back it was. I mean, I've, I've witnessed 70 and 80 year olds coming to God for the first time. God doesn't say, okay, everything in the last 20 years I'll take care of, but after that I can't do it. Everything for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, He washes away. So God is not interested in just simply having you start from here, but God is interested in restoring everything. And I've seen and watched so many people try to cope with things and you're dealing with things right now that you weren't, they, they weren't stuff you caused, that you were a victim of. You were told you're not lovable. You were told that you're never going to be this. You were told you're this. And so now you've carried those feelings into your marriage. You've carried those feelings into parenthood. You've carried those feelings into your relationship with God. And it seems like now, no matter how much you make progress, it always seems like those things are lurking in that, that pain, that hidden hurt, that hidden feeling. And when you feel like you make a mistake, it's not just dealing with that moment but those voices of you're no good you're never doing it right echo in your mind and you self-sabotage all of God's doing because you still have that child in you that feels unloved that feels 
worthless that feels like you can never do anything right to get mom and dad's approval. So what do you do? You can't accept the grace of God. You can't accept the love of God. You've got to prove to God that you are worth something because you couldn't prove to your parents you were worth anything. So you're going to prove to God you're worth anything. So you're going to work for God as hard as you possibly can because you want the Father above to approve of you and you can't understand why God won't let you prove how good you are and the more you try to prove, the more He works against Against you and you're thinking, wait a minute, what kind of father are you? Well, I'm, I'm telling you what, I am way off in right field, but I'm in, the, I'm in Jesus' field. Because you're trying to prove to God that you're worth something because you couldn't prove to anybody else. So you're to prove to God that you have something because He's your heavenly Father and you couldn't prove your natural father and you couldn't, you couldn't get approval from your natural mother. So you're going to get approval for God and you are working your tail off to prove to God that you are worth something. And God is working against you and you don't like it because you want God to let you prove and realize He just loves you for who you are. Not for what you do, but for who you are. You've heard me say this again. I'll say it to you again because some of you are new. You've never heard me say this. So forgive me for using it again. But the idea that you said, we, we pray these very noble sounding prayers. It sounds really good, but it's so far from being biblical. It's not even funny. It's, oh God, without you, I am nothing. Sounds so good. It sounds so spiritual. You can say it with tears and look good. Oh God, without you, I am nothing. There's a real big issue. That's not biblical. Are you trying to tell me that I have self-worth outside of God? I'm just telling you this. If you're nothing, then that means when he died, he died for nothing. But he did not shed. When he died for you, you were lost. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he died for you when you were still in that stage of not knowing him. So that means he did not die because you were nothing. He died because you were something. Now the Bible does say without him we can do nothing. That's true. But you are something because he died for you because you have value. No matter what a parent said, no matter what a teacher said, no matter what an aunt or an uncle said, you have value. But not because of what you do, it's because of who you are. And instead of trying to prove that you're worth something, why don't you let the righteousness of God cover you today as was spoken by sister right here in the beginning let the righteousness of God cover you today so that when you look at yourself you don't see that broken child but you see a child of God I don't know who you are today man I'm, I'm just, I can't get past this it's just pulling on me today but there's somebody in this place today that if you would let God you have tried to do whatever you can to say well what's wrong with me this can't be this happened so long ago it's amazing to me seriously I've counseled people now for uh, for for many years and it's amazing to me from my perspective. And I don't mean this to be condescending towards them. I'm using it in perspective. So please take it within the context of this. 
But it's amazing to me when I talk to people sometimes how small things can become so huge. You know, we, we, we often know that, you know, I've, some of you, have, some of your testimonies in here are just absolutely amazing. The level of things that God brought you through, healed you from. And it'd be, it's very, you know, it's very obvious to say, man, that's a, those are huge. But then other of us, we kind of go, well, I, doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. What's wrong with me? This shouldn't affect me like this. What's wrong with me? I, this shouldn't be that big of a deal. And we're trying to tr- talk ourselves out of something. I'm telling you the Holy Ghost right now, I can't get past this and this is probably the farthest we're going to go because I believe God is in this place today. I don't know who you are, but it's time that for the for, for maybe the first time ever that you can move past some things that go way, way back. Some of you have heard him tell the story. My father tells the story, and, and God has used it in many ways, that at five years old, and we have smaller ears here, so I'll try to be discreet. At five years old, there was things done to him at five years old that brought great shame in his life. At five years old, I try to think back at some, I try to think back to memories when I was five years old. But the only thing I can think of is being in your kindergarten class. I shouldn't tell people that because you look so good. Can you believe that beautiful lady right there that looks so good was my kindergarten teacher? You would never know. That's about, the memories are about that. And it's amazing to think that something at that age could, could define life. For an adult. And he tells the story. And he shared it. And a lot of you heard the story. That all the way up to his 38 years old. He was running from this event. That took place when he was 5 years old. Why? Because there's something that takes place in the formation. And some of you know exactly what I'm dealing. Or talking about today. Because you are dealing with those things. And I'm telling you. God has shut all of this down. I've got. I'm going to sound like the bishop. I've got about 7 more pages of notes here. That was going to work through today. But God says no. Because he showed up here today. It started this morning. When we stopped worship. And he said you know what. I want you to stand here. Lift up your hands. Unashamed. Not because of who you are. But because of who I am. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Have I messed up? Yes. Have I broken? Yes. But I'm not good because of me. It's because of him. Can I tell you what today? You know what? I haven't come to tell you the answer to why. I haven't come to tell you today. I don't know why you were mistreated. I don't know why you were abused. I don't know why you were hurt. I don't know why those things were told to you. But I know now that you have a heavenly father that is in this place today that's able to reach back in your life. Forty years, right? Mother Owens here was telling a testimony. She never knew her father. Didn't even know what he looked like. Forty years. He passed her on the street. She walked by. She wouldn't even have known that was her father. Never knew him. 
But a couple months ago, God started to pull some stuff out of her. Why now? All these years, God. God started pulling these feelings and these emotions that were inside of her, pulling these things up out of her. Dealing with her dad. And after 40 years, God started bringing healing and closure into her life over things. And in that process, boy, our Heavenly Father, He knows what He's doing. In that process, she gets a call. Debbie, just want to let you know, your dad died. Didn't even know what it looked like. And at the funeral, someone took a picture of the program and sent it to her. And after a lifetime, she got to look at the face of her father for the very first time. Why now? I don't know. Why? Wow. I mean, there's no telling how many times you prayed about that. Or how many times you probably buried that. Deep. But God knows. Could she go to heaven not knowing what her dad looked like? Sure. Could she go to heaven with that unanswered? Sure. But she's got a heavenly father that wanted to give a little girl closure after all these years. I'm telling you, I feel this so strongly here today, and I feel some of you are fighting so hard. I can feel it. The resistance is not coming from some spirit. It's coming from some of you because you're like, I did not, I'm, I'm telling you, this is what I hear. I did not come today to deal with this. Just say your peace, man, and let me go. It's not me. It's him. Several weeks ago, I don't remember what it was. Chris, you've been here for, since 1985, isn't it? Several years, several weeks ago, God was speaking, ministering, and I felt very strongly that today was, for somebody, today was the day. And I watched Brother Chris Knotts get out of his seat, come down, and just weep. God pour healing on him. I don't know what it was. It wasn't not my business. But I had a feeling it wasn't something that happened yesterday. Did you wake up that morning and go, today's the day, I'm going to deal with this. It wasn't quite that way. But God said, now, I don't know who you are. And I'm telling you, this. I, I thought I was going to teach and God has totally changed this. I don't know who you are today, but the Holy Ghost started this, started off this morning reaching for you and He's still reaching for you. And if you would stop resisting and just give up, God wants to do a miracle in your life today. God wants to do a miracle in your life today because as long as you keep those wounds in your life, you have a door open in you that lets the adversary come in and mess with you anytime he wants. And so what does he do? He waits and sits back until you make progress and then he shows his head and pulls you back. And eventually what you do is you give up because you realize, let's just have truth. I won't mess with you. 
You won't mess with me because it's too painful to keep doing this. But God says, no, no, we need to shut the door today. In the name of Jesus. Father, I speak it in the name of Jesus. I bind every spirit of doubt. I bind every spirit of unbelief. I bind every lie from the adversary that is warring in this place right now. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I lose faith. I lose the supernatural manifestation of the healing power of Jesus Christ to be in this place right now. You are healed. You are whole in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I prayed about this before. It doesn't matter. Jesus says today. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I can do it. You don't have to do it. He can do it. In the name of Jesus, rise up faith. Rise up in this house in Jesus' name. Rise up faith in Jesus' name. Rise up faith in Jesus' name. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost moving in this place. If somebody would just begin to respond to God, there is a spirit of healing and restoration in this place right now that God wants to heal and restore the child in you. Come on, be sensitive right now to those around you because the Holy Ghost is here. Come on, there's some of you that you've carried things for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but today God's going to heal the child inside of you. He's going to heal that little six-year-old boy. He's going to heal that little eight-year-old girl. He's going to heal that little nine-year-old boy. He's going to heal that 11-year-old girl. Today, today, today. Oh! Come on, church, be sensitive for a moment. Come on, the Holy Ghost is moving. The Holy Ghost is moving. Let God do it today. Let God heal the child in you. I know this is not the context of this statement, but today God says, no child left behind. No child left behind. No longer will we let the child inside of us keep us from becoming what God has called us to be. Oh, come on. Let Him heal you of the hurt. Let Him heal you of the pain. Let Him heal you of the disappointment. Let Him heal you of the abuse. God can do it today. God can do it today. It starts today. Starts today. Oh, Jesus. Come on, folks, would you just find somebody to pray with for a moment? I believe the Holy Ghost is trying to do something deep. I believe miracles are taking place in this room. Would you just, if you're either praying for yourself or or just maybe praying for your neighbor all over this place, come on, God is doing something beautiful in this room.